The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. You know, you don't necessarily need to be a parent or a grandparent to be concerned about what appears to be an increased amount of meanness and bullying among our children. It seems like every day we hear about another incident of a child being a target. Cyberbullying is increasing, and as adults, we're concerned that our children are becoming more self-centered, feel entitled, and will not follow in our footsteps as caring and compassionate individuals. So how do you do that? How do you instill these values of kindness and compassion in our children? Well, today we're going to be sharing some ways to share time as a family, have fun, actually relax, and still in those values of caring and compassion all at the same time. In the next generation, you know, it's very important for that generation. You know, perhaps you're looking just for an opportunity to volunteer in your community in a way that's meaningful but still fun. Genevieve Marsh and Patrick Long are from Garden City Harvest. They build community through agriculture by growing produce with and for people with low incomes. They offer unbelievable education and training programs, and they use their sites for the personal restoration of youth and adults. Now, I have a black thumb. I mean, this is really true. I mean, when I, my husband says that when I approach any green growing thing, it starts to scream, help, don't let this woman near me, really. So community gardens is not necessarily something I am so inclined to do. However, the work of Community Harvest is extremely interesting and important, and it is the type of program that even if you didn't want to do it yourself, you would want to be able to share it with one of your community organizations or with a family. So I urge you to stay with us as we welcome Genevieve and Patrick to Caught Between Generations. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You're, You're welcome. So... Garden City Harvest, this is your 20th year. Just generally describe to us, what does it look like today? It is our 20th year, and we now have 20 sites around Missoula um, on 20 acres. Um, Missoula uh, is a town of about 100,000 people, and um, so it's, it's a lot of urban agriculture. Um, and we have four different far- programs now that, that we operate within. Um, we try and meet people where they need, we might try to meet people where 
they need us to be, whether it's to get um, produce into their hands and onto their plates, whether it's growing food for, for them um, and them coming to the farm to pick it up, or giving them the space and the tools, shared tools at a community garden for them to come and garden their own plot and with their family, um, as well as educating folks about it um, in schools, with um, school gardens, um, and uh, bringing kids to the farm. And then we also have uh, at-risk youth, I uh, don't love that term, but um, come to the farm and... Uh, and learn job skills, and, you know, digging in the dirt is therapeutic. So um, they, they come to dig in the dirt and, and find out a little bit about their self-worth and, and meet some new people. So um, that's it in a nutshell. So We have a lot of other things that have sort of sprung out from that, like veggie prescriptions or um, that, those kinds of things that are, are little pieces Veggie prescriptions. Okay, yeah. you 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 call you you got my attention. What what is that? Okay, I mean I mean a carrot on a on a RX pad. I mean what is that? It is. Some of them are. Um, we've just piloted this in the last year. This is our second year doing it, but we have um, our the Providence uh, Hospital locally, St. Patrick's Providence Hospital, um, as well as um, now. Uh, veterans pro, uh, hospital both are writing prescriptions for vegetables and the, the folks who um, often are struggling with obesity or, um, or some kind of endocrine problem like diabetes, type 2 diabetes especially, come with their veg- vegetable prescriptions and, and change, exchange those prescriptions for vegetables that they take home and put on their plates. Interesting. So how, just out of curiosity, how much food do you actually produce? Well, that's a good question. Um, for so we produce a lot of uh, total pounds of food between our four farms, um, which range from an acre to ten acres within Missoula. Um, we have almost uh, 145,000 pounds. Um, we give away 50,000 pounds or sell at, at reduced cost. Um, 50,000 pounds of that total. And then we also sell some to members of the farm, CSA members is what we call that. Um, And we also have a lot of volunteers who come and take home food in exchange for their their efforts. Um, And we do a couple other little things with um, with the sales, so. so so does everyone have to come to the farm to get the food? Is there another distribution channel other than coming to the farms? There's coming to the farms, and then the youth development program um, does this thing called mobile markets, um, where they will the food that they are helping grow on two of our farms um, gets harvested. And then they take it to uh, senior housing, mostly low-income senior housing, and set up a little farmer's market stand-style um, produce stand, and they sell it at very low cost to the seniors. And it's a really cool thing because um, it's these kids who are often coming from broken homes or they don't, they're, they're in foster care um, or in a youth home. And so they, they're coming from some hard places in their life. Um, and they have this huge sense of self-worth because they come, they, they, they know all about this food, they've grown it since it was a seed into a, a fruit or, or vegetable, and they're now selling it and they are the experts to these seniors. So the 
seniors are coming and asking them questions about how you prepare it or, or how did they grow it and what does it taste like? And um, they build relationships um, and uh, cross-generational um, bonds that are really special to see um, and really confidence-building for, I think, both sides. And also, also you have the senior population who is often isolated. A lot of them don't drive um, cars, and so they, um, they suddenly have this sort of um, breath of, of young life coming in um, and delivering vegetables. So it's a pretty cool thing. That is pretty cool. I mean, we call that intergenerational programming, um, mm-hmm. which, which, is, which is great. Do you have other um, kids that are involved besides your high-risk kids? Um, I mean, seniors in high schools that have to do community service hours. Anything like that? Um, we do, so we get a lot of the youth um, who come into that program come from um, uh, the, 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 the youth drug court. Um, is one of the that's one of the partnerships it, it started with. So there's youth drug court. Um, we also work with youth homes. That's a huge. That, that's a place where um, a lot of kids in, who are in foster care will go, or please, kids that don't have a, a home um, will go to um, find shelter. Um, so those are two two of the main places. Um, we also there's some an alternative high school that. Uh, often has kids apply from the high school to the to the youth program, the youth development program. So talking about schools, I mean, you have a program called Farm to School. Can you describe that program for us? Sure. Um, Farm to School uh, works with, they, they. so they started out um, bringing kids to the farm. That was um, in 2005. And they would do field trips to the farm um, and learn all about the pigs and chickens there, um, the farm ecology. And then that was a hugely popular. Um, and we, so we expanded then to starting to do school gardens. So we would come to their campus and help them build gardens right on site um, and help. We, we wrote a curriculum for that, all that kind of thing, so that the teachers could actually interact with the garden and, um, you know, use the food for some snacks and that kind of thing. Um, and then we also now, Patrick, who's uh, here with me, um, is one of the farmers who goes into the classroom and teaches curriculum throughout the winter. So we have year-round um, curriculum that we offer. All of our second-grade classrooms now have farmers who come in and visit and teach um, about the different, um, maybe Patrick, you want to talk about this? Sure. Um, yeah, so, so each uh, public second grade school in Missoula has one of our staff folks come in once a month throughout the school year. Um, so and it kind of goes, you know, coincides with a couple of farm field trips as well that each of those classes have. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, any, anything from beekeeping and the importance of pollinators to you know, cows in Montana and why they do well here, um, all sorts of food topics, um, most, mostly specific to Montana and our, you know, growing here in the area. Um, and, you know, we bring in little snacks every time and have pictures and little games and just as much, you know, as much ways as we can to, to get students, um, you know, second grade kids thinking about food and where it comes from and, you know, the importance of it, so... 
it's pretty Who? cool to see these kids with their little mic, um, handheld um, lenses looking down at seeds to try and, and race to be the first one to learn what the seed is to guess the right to, to match the right seed um, and or or uh, grind the wheat flour into in, grind the wheat grains into flour. Um, it's pretty cool, pretty interactive. Do you have very young children that come out to the farm? You're talking about second graders. Do you have children that are even younger? Is that possible? Yeah, we have anywhere from uh, we have a preschool that comes in every year to we have some high school groups that come. Um, we have over 3,000 kids who come to the farm um, each year. So um, the, the classrooms that we go into during the winter um, are very specifically, there's a curriculum that's very specifically geared towards second grade, but the farm tours are, are much more loose. Um, you know, the main, we, we plant a carrot for every kid that's going to come out to the farm. So um, the, there's definitely a, um, a, an eating component in each one, but it's pretty flexible as far as who can come, and we can play to the, the education level of whoever's, whoever's on their way. Do you have um, families that participate as a, as a family? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think our Volunteer for Veggies program and our um, CSA member, um, you know, sort of like a subscription to the farm people come each week to pick up their veggies. Those are two main, main ways where people or families will, will participate um, in the farms. So um, Volunteer for Veggies, I've seen a lot of, um, especially over the summer, kids come with a parent um, to dig in the dirt for a little while. And I think one of the biggest ways that families interact with us is our community gardens program. The family will rent a plot for the season and um, grow food in that plot um, and to feed their families. Um, and the kids, I've seen kids in diapers and uh, teenage kids. Um, kids of all ages are, are out there helping their parents and getting away from screens. Um, that's, so, that's, <laughs> I think that's so, great. so many of our gardeners mm-hmm. say that it's therapeutic to be out in that space. And, you know, there's science to back that up now that, that it's a little bit like the, the, the effects of Prozac and the effects of gardening are very similar on your brain. So, Patrick, I'm going to ask you to hold that. When we return, we're going to be asking Genevieve and Patrick, how do you start a community garden? And I want to hear their lessons learned about starting a garden and working with volunteers. We want to hear Patrick's thought that I interrupted him on. And since I love food so much, we're going to end with a recipe. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Abortion can affect an entire family. This includes men, women, other family members, and friends. While each experience is unique, the feelings of grief and loss are something everyone can relate to. Listen for Life After Abortion with hosts Michaeline Friedenberg and Skylar Christensen. Together with their guests, they can help open the conversation and bridge the gap toward healing. Life After Abortion can be heard Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Genevieve Jessup-Marsh and Patrick Long from Garden City Harvest, which is just an incredible program. Um, So before the break, um, we just started a little bit on asking you, how can people get started creating a community garden in their area? I mean, listening to you and all these farms, I'm getting a little overwhelmed. So if I wanted to do this on a smaller scale, how how could I do that? Well, starting a community garden is um, is really a wonderful way to get involved in a, just a neighborhood. Um, you need three elements, really. You need a piece of land that you that will let you use. Uh, that has, the landowners would um, let you use it for about ten years um, or more or forever would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Ideal. Um, you need some water, and most importantly, you need a passionate leader or two or three. Um, who can help make it happen, and then once it's happening, continue the maintenance of that garden over the, the years to come. Um, and so when we build community gardens, we, we definitely look for those three things. Um, it's really nice to also have an organization that can help you, but it's definitely possible to do it um, as a, a single person uh, or, a, or a family. Um, we, we often create a little mini board for each garden once it's gotten started called a leadership committee, which is often those few leaders that really get it going. Um, and we use a lot of partners. So, um, you know, developers, city council, parks and rec can be huge because they're often the, the owner of the land or the manager of the land, um, part of whatever the city parks and, and rec um, department um, They'll often have odd lots around the city, too, that you could transform into a community garden, and they're very happy because they then have a functional place um, instead of a, you know, weedy lot. Um, Churches have been a huge partner for us as well as schools. Um, 
And so, you know, looking for helpful partners in church that um, is um, one of our partners who get, wanted us to come and garden this land that was a weed patch, uh, and actually an invasive weed patch, um, and we came in and, and transformed it, and, and they helped us with paying the water and, um, and helping with the fence. And um, so it's been a really great partnership where they're giving as well as, as us. Um, there's also a great organization called the American Community Gardening Association that has lots of sample plans and contracts and resources to help folks step-by-step go through um, and, and plan a community garden. And I'll also mention Jeremy Smith's book, um, Growing a Garden City. It has some great step-by-step um, starters to, to help you get started with a community garden. So, Jennifer, do you have to be concerned about things like zoning regulations? You know, in other states you might. Um, in Montana, we don't have as many zoning regulations as the average state probably does. Um, so we've never run into that issue. Um, for us, it's more who owns the land, um, and we often do a survey. That's one of the first steps of the surrounding neighborhood, especially the the folks right around the potential community garden who might be facing it or interacting with it a lot. Because there's often some, pre- some assumptions that it's going to be ugly or that there's going to be a huge need for parking um, and just a lot more traffic coming to the neighborhood, which almost always... Um, in reality, is is um, not true. Um, so, sussing out if anybody's going to really be against it, or how many people are for it, will people garden there, um, or 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 just support it um, from afar? Um, so that community, that sort of community assessment, is really key too, um, and, and trying you, to decide whether it's worth it. Do you need licenses? I mean, do you need a food license from the health department? Do you need a vendor's license? Do you need any of those things? Um, We don't. The most important thing that we need is um, insurance uh, because people are handling shovels and, um, you know, digging in the dirt. And so um, that's something that actually the American Community Gardening Association can offer smaller groups um, as, as a resource, um, we're lucky to you know, be, be part of a larger organization that can get our own insurance policy for all of our, our sites, but um, that is a great resource that, that, that the American Community Gardening Association offers. But that's the biggest thing Good. that I can think of. That's very Thanks helpful information. <laughs> um, so what lessons have you learned? I mean, I mean, what are the lessons you've learned that you would say, oh, my gosh, no matter what you do, do not do this. You don't want to go down this path. Well, you know, we've with, with that sur- the neighborhood survey, we before I was actually part of this um, organization, um, we went pretty far down a path of of putting in a community garden that ended up, um, you know, not working out because there was a neighbor who was so passionately against it. Um, and so that's when we, I, it started in stating, like, whenever we do this, we really need to meet with the people who might have some concerns and learn what they are and educate and maybe give them a tour of the other gardens that are around town so they can see what might be coming um, in their neighborhood. 
um, really educate them. We had a gardener um, at our latest community garden, or sorry, not a gardener, a neighbor who was very much against it even came into the office to tell us um, he was very, his concerns. Um, a really great guy, uh, very honest and open, and um, he now is one of the garden's biggest fans and helps us with a little volunteer work once in a while. He called the other day because he thought um, Patrick's dog was lost um, and uh, was trying to help him find her because <laughs> he thought he was <laughs> running around. Yeah. You know, it's right. just like he had the wrong dog. He but. had the wrong dog, but uh, you know, he's he's just had this great transformation. So um, that was a lesson to me that just um, to be a good listener and and really hear what um, what folks are saying and and try and find some facts and um, and get them on board. Uh, with some education um, because they can be your biggest ag- advocates and um, it's key to be able to hear what, they, what they're what they saying and, and incorporate some things. We were able to incorporate some native plants that his, this was a plot that his mother actually had gardened before he, when he was a kid. Um, and so we actually brought life back into this grass patch and um, planted some bitter roots, which are a flower that's native to here. Um, in honor of his mother and um, and really tried to bring a piece of what he was missing about that land back. So, And, and I think another so, lesson would probably be to to start off small and with something manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, our largest community garden has now just under 100 plots at it, so 100 individual little patches that folks rent out and garden. Um, but it certainly didn't start that big um, and probably would have been a handful if it if we had tried to start at that size right away. So, so I think it's Do good have, to, keep, uh, to keep things manageable and not have too many community patches um, and just keep it, you know, keep it small in the beginning so that you can figure out what, what you can really, you know, take on. Do you have problems getting volunteers? Um, because even if it's small, there's still a lot of work involved. Is, is that difficult? And, and how do you get volunteers? Oh, man, um, we definitely depend and love our volunteers um and you know from people who just need need to ha- need some food because a lot of our a lot of our neighborhood farms um we have a volunteer for veggies program so folks come to um to volunteer and they get to take home vegetables and there's a few people who even depend on that um you know they put in 20 hours a week um and and feed their family for the entire week it's uh it's enough to feed a family of four, I think, when they do that. Um, so, you know, it, that's a great incentive. Um, we do some a little bit of outreach on Facebook and some social media sites and um, an email list, but um, we work with um, a few other organizations like the university um, to try and find um, volunteers. But a lot of them just come to us. Um, uh, the Pease Farm... One of our four farms, it's the largest one, also has a relationship with the University um, Environmental Studies Program. So uh, we also have an internship program there where, um, where students are coming to the farm and learning the, um, the ecological processes on the farm and how to farm. Um, lots of different lessons to be learned there, um, as well as um, helping us grow the food. Um, Genevieve and Patrick, we don't have a lot of time left, but I promised everyone that we would hear, or at least you would refer us to, uh, one of your favorite recipes. I'm waiting. 
Oh, yeah. One of my favorite vegetables at this time of year, I, uh, it's hard to pick, but um, is scapes, uh, cooking with scapes. You can throw them on the grill. Um, you can throw them into a stir fry. You can make a really mean pesto, especially if you have some chard or um, mizuna or some kind of green that you can throw in there with them, which is also usually in season right now. Um, I have a recipe on our blog at GardenCityHarvest.org if anyone wanted to check it out um, for scapes. Um, but, yeah, those are yummy. They're like a mild form of garlic, the little wow. stem that comes out with the seed on the end, the seed butt or the butt on the end. So, Patrick and Genevieve, tell us if we want to find out more, if we want to read your recipes, how do we do that? Um, you can go to our website, Garden City Harvest. Org. Um, we also have a, a pretty active Facebook page. We love to get new fans. Um, and, uh, and, of course, our blog is right on our website as well, and that's very active with seasonal recipes, special, especially for nor- northern climes, but it works pretty much everywhere. Right. Thank you so much for being with us today. I, I really appreciated learning about this. And I think we learned a lot today um, and had great resources from you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you both. When we return, Jenny Friedman, author of Doing Good Together, joins us to discuss simple projects that can be done with even very, very young children. I'm talking about three years of age and up um, that teach the skill of empathy. So they're fun. They're easy. I think you're going to find them relaxing. And I think she has lots of great tips for us. So stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner. And nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been discussing ways that we can help our children assimilate the values of kindness and compassion. And joining us to continue the discussion is Dr. Jenny Friedman, the founder and executive director of Doing Good Together. Dr. Friedman has written more than 100 articles on issues of parenting and child development for national publications such as Parenting and Parents. She wrote The Busy Family's Guide to Volunteering and is the co-author of the book, Doing Good Together. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. So um, what are the benefits when families spend time together giving back? Yeah, the one of the reasons I'm just so passionate about this is because I think there are multiple benefits for kids and for families and for communities when families come together to give back. I think for children, like you mentioned, it teaches empathy and compassion. Um, I think it breaks down stereotypes because we tend to spend time with people who are just like us, but when we volunteer, we often meet a wide variety of people. Um, I think it engenders gratitude in kids, which is a nice antidote to kind of the sense of entitlement that so many parents are concerned about, and also kind of the materialism that's so much a part of our culture. Um, It promotes good citizenship and civic engagement. And uh, one thing I think is really important is that when kids realize they can make a difference in other people's lives when they're three or eight or 12 years old, you know, it may, it empowers them then to know that they really can make the world a better place um, instead of being cynical as adults and feeling like there's nothing they can do. And I also think it brings families closer when they spend time doing something meaningful that expresses their shared values. And lastly, I think for communities, it just means that many more people lending a hand. And we know that kids who spend time giving back are two or three times more likely to continue to do so when they become adults. So it kind of brings a lot of help for our communities both now and for the future. So, um, yeah, it's just a really powerful ripple effect when families make this part of their lives. So, Jenny, those are very, very good things. And I think things that all of us, you know, would like our children to experience. But the problem is, I mean, we're so busy, we're overwhelmed. You know, we're talking about fitting one more thing into an already overwhelming schedule. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, I think this is probably the most common question I get. And, yeah, you don't want to tell busy families that there's one more thing they ought to be putting on their to-do list. But I think that there is a myth that this needs to be a big deal, that you need to carve out a huge amount of time. And actually, it's really simple to kind of weave into the routine of your life. And I'll just give you one example of that. So if you and your children decorate a, a box and put it in your kitchen, and then each time you go together to the grocery store, just pick out one additional item. You can use two-for-one sales and have that be an item that you're donated to your local food pantry. And when you get home, you drop it in your box. 
when the box fills up after two or three months, then when you're out running errands one time, bring the box along and drop it off at your local food shelf. And if you walk in, you can ask some questions about what kinds of foods are they most need, what people um, are most requesting, and also talk to them a little bit about hunger in the community. This is so simple, takes so little time, and yet it lets your children know that you value giving back. It's sitting in the kitchen every single day. You have those great conversations in the grocery store when you're choosing an item to donate. So it just kind of, like I said, it kind of weaves giving back into your everyday routines. And we have dozens of ideas like that that um, take very little time. And I'm assuming, based on what you're saying, you know, children can be very, very young. I mean, what what do you think is the best age to begin these types of projects, to begin this type of tradition? Yeah, we really believe that whatever age your children are right now, that's the best age to start. I, I make the analogy to reading to children. So we start reading to children when they're very, very young, even though they don't read themselves and they can't understand all the words. Because we want reading to be a habit. We want our children to believe that that's something, that's just part of what you do in your life is you read. Um, I think giving back is very much the same thing. Even if your children don't completely get it when they're two or three or five, they'll always look back on their childhoods and think one of the things my family always did is we helped out when people needed help. So, Again, as they get older, they understand it at a deeper and deeper level. But I think starting even before they have that understanding is wonderful. And if you already have older children, then great, you know, go ahead and get started now. As they get older, certainly there are just more and more opportunities and possibilities for ways you can engage in the community together. So, Jenny, one of the things you talk about is two different types of family service projects, one of them being indirect and one of them being direct. I found that very interesting. Can you explain both of those and what the differences are between them? Sure, sure. So, I think one of the easiest ways to start kind of getting engaged in community together and giving back together is to do things you right at your own kitchen table that you don't have to sign up for, you don't have to make a commitment for, because I think that worries a lot of parents who have kids with many different schedules. So the idea of adopting a food pantry is just one example of that. I'll give you a couple others. We There's a great organization called sendkidstheworld.com and they have photos and bios of children with serious life-threatening illnesses that are eager for some happy mail. So anytime you want, you can sit down with your own children and decorate cards and mail them to these children. And I've talked to some parents of kids who are featured on that site and they just love getting these cards. It really lifts their spirits. So again, a very simple project. It can take 15 minutes on your part. Um, But it can stimulate the conversation you can have with your own children about what kind of difference you're making for somebody else. So we have lots and lots of those kinds of indirect service ideas on our website, um, again, that you can do right at home. You don't have to sign up for, but really get that conversation going with your kids. And then if you want to get out in the community, there we have lots of ideas for that kind of service as well. So one example that I did with my own children when they were little is to deliver meals on wheels. So I had a friend who had a three-year-old, and I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old, and we'd pile the meals into our car along with the three kids in the back. 
And we'd stop at eight or ten different spots, and we'd take turns taking our three-year-old up to hand um, the person the meal. And, of course, the people who were receiving the meal loved having a a three-year-old child um, interacting with them. My kids got a lot of candy from people, so they loved it. So there's those kinds of projects as well, like cooking at a shelter or um, visiting somebody in a nursing home or doing some kind of environmental project. Um, All those kinds of opportunities are also really great when you're ready to step out into the community. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that yet or your children are still really young, I think it's great to take advantage of kind of these simple or indirect opportunities to start. So, so, Jenny, do you think that some parents are concerned about exposing their kids to other kids, let's say, that have serious problems or a nursing home, um, and they're concerned about their children's reaction um, to that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And we really encourage parents to um, think about what their child's personality is like and what their comfort level is and choose things where they feel like it will not be difficult for their kids. Um, I think sometimes we underestimate our children, though, and that when we're actually doing things that make a difference, kids feel more empowered than they do overwhelmed because they feel like they're really helping out. But we also encourage people to certainly visit places first. So if you decide you want to, let's say, adopt a grandparent at a local nursing home or cook a meal at a shelter, we suggest you go look around first and talk to people and observe so you understand what the uh, situation is like before you bring your children in. The other benefit of that is that then you can have a conversation with your children about what to expect. And I also think that helps in getting kids acclimated to new situations. That has to do then with choosing a charitable organization because... I, I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding that you can just show up at a shelter or sh- even, you know, you have a great project in your book about a dog biscuit bake. And I was reading that and mm-hmm. thinking, well, could you just show up, you know, um, at the kennel in effect with these dog biscuits? I mean, do you have to go check these things out ahead of time and tell people what you intend to do? So if you're just delivering items, like in that example you gave, um, it's important to call first and ask if it's something they need. So you don't want to bring things that they can't use. So I would call the Humane Society or the rescue group and say, we'd really like to make some dog biscuits. Is that something you can use? It's not necessary in that case to go visit. But if you're actually going somewhere to volunteer, then it's definitely important to interact with the um, volunteer coordinator of the organization and find out where your help can uh, be most useful to them. You know, I'll just add my own personal thought to this. And and based on my years of working in state mental hospitals, actually with adolescents and residential treatment centers and now with seniors, and that is everyone shows up in December. Everyone. All right. Um, everyone wants to sing for you. Everyone wants to bring you things. Everyone comes. And then what happens January through November is you can't find anyone um, to do things for you. So my own 
personal kind of thought on this is that to take a look at the entire year and think through um, your helping and that your help really may be needed at a different time of year and not just at the holiday season. Yes, I totally agree with you, and I think it's um, a problem for nonprofits everywhere that that happens, and that's why we're so eager to get families to make this more of an everyday habit and a part of their routine rather than something they just plan to do once every year. And again, we have so many ideas of ways to do that from the very simple to um, the more intense at whatever level you want to start getting engaged. But, um, you know, it's fine to volunteer on the holidays, but, you know, there's so much need all year round, and we really want to encourage people to help out at those times of year as well. Right. So when we return, we'll be asking Jenny about the relationship between education and doing good and also the relationship between children's literature and doing good. And maybe I actually also want to ask her about Dr. Zeus Day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. 
Uh, we're with Dr. Jenny Friedman, author of Doing Good Together. Um, and actually, we've been having a great time talking about a variety of family service projects that are really easy to do. And I just told Jenny, actually, that one of the things I like best about the uh, book was there is an age index in the back. So you can say, well, my grandchild is age seven, and there's a whole list of projects, or my grandchild is age three, and there's another whole list of projects, uh, which makes your life a lot easier. So, Jenny, talking about grandparents, talk to me about grandparents and grandchildren doing these types of projects together. Right. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's great for parents and kids to kind of give back together. But often grandparents are looking for meaningful ways to spend time with their kids. They may have a little more um, time than parents do. And often grandparents are very involved in community themselves, and it's an important value that they want to pass on to their grandchildren. So all of these projects we're talking about, I think, are really fun ways for grandparents and grandchildren to spend time together. You can go on kindness dates. So, you know, go together to the craft store and buy some card-making supplies and then sit down together and make cards for these kids who are sick. Um, I, I think there's, we just have lots and lots of ideas like that that are fun ways to spend time together, but that also allow you to have that conversation about the importance of helping others and being engaged in community. That's great. You, Jenny, you place a lot of emphasis on education as a key component of any service project. Why do you think that's so important? Well, first of all, I think that emerging research shows that when children kind of uh, practice empathy and kind of build that empathy muscle, they actually end up up doing better academically as well. I think this is kind of a surprise to parents because they think if they want their kids to achieve, then they pressure them to achieve. But actually what we're finding out is some of those soft skills like caring and compassion and getting along with others actually seem to make a real difference in how successful kids are in academics and other parts of their life. So that's one piece of it. I, I think the other piece of it is that these it, it kind of builds critical thinking. So if you go to a nursing home, for example, together, and then you come home and you talk to your child and say, what did you like about the experience? What was difficult about it? What do you think we could do next time to make it better? That really requires some problem solving on the part of your child, and it makes them think more deeply about issues. Plus, they're learning as you volunteer together about things like hunger or homelessness or environmental concerns. So in all those ways, I think that education and doing good in the community are deeply intertwined. You also identify reflection as an important element. And what do you mean by reflection, and why is that important? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I think... We believe these conversations you have with your children when you do service together, or even if you're not, just having conversations about how much you value giving back and how important it is to you to um, make sure we help out in the world. Um, I think those conversations, which really is what reflection is, it's thinking more deeply about um, particular issues are really valuable for kids. And I'll, and I'll give you one example that we share with parents all the time, and that is to each night at dinner, 
for everyone to go around the table and say, mention one kind thing they've done for somebody that day and one kind thing somebody has done for them. And I think the value of that is that then the child and the adults as well kind of walk through their day thinking about how they can do something kind. And they think about what nice things people do for them. So it just makes you view the world a little differently when you know at dinner time you're going to have that conversation. So uh, we also have some really fun free printables on our websites that you can download, like a placemat that you can print out and use at dinner time with really fun conversation starters like if you had $100 and you had to give it away, who would you give it to? Things like that that get those that reflection kind of started in your family. I love that. Um, you recommend also uh, many children's books on your website. So what do you think yeah. is the connection between uh, literature and doing good? Yeah, yeah, we're huge fans of children's books, and there's so many wonderful ones out there. Um, I think they're a great way to open our children to other worlds and other ways of thinking. I think we know that reading makes all of us adults and children more empathetic. To be, we're better able to imagine what other people are thinking and feeling um, when we look at the world through the point of view of the characters. And again, it triggers those great conversations when you ask children things like, why do you think the character did what he did? Would you have done the same thing? How would you have handled that situation? I think all those things are so valuable in helping kids kind of view the world differently and understand the, that other people have different ways of reacting and thinking about things than we do, which, of course, is, <laughs> helps children be successful in all parts of their life as they grow older. So, um, yeah, we're, we, again, on our website, we have lots and lots of great book suggestions. Um, and also, if you get our newsletter or on our Facebook page, lots and lots of ideas of great books we recommend to talk to, talk to children about these different issues and that bring up different kinds of conversations. Jenny, any last thoughts for us? Um, I guess I would just emphasize again that Two things. One, the enormous value this has, and I think we're finding that out more and more, that if you want your child to be successful, however you define that, that engendering empathy and compassion is probably one of the surest ways to make that happen. Um, And second, that it can be really simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to feel overwhelmed by it. That, um, yeah, we have lots of lots of easy ways to make that part of your life. So I hope people will check out our website so they can find some of those. We've been talking to Dr. Jenny Friedman, who's the co-author of Doing Good Together. Jenny, your website, your blog, can you give us just a little more information on that? Sure. The uh, website is doinggoodtogether.org, all one word. Um, we have we are on all kinds of social media. We have a Facebook page. We're on Pinterest. You can find our blog. Uh, our blogger has three children and kind of makes these different projects part of her life, so you can read about her experience. We have free monthly newsletter you can sign up for with more ideas. So um, there's just lots of ways to interact with us to get um a lot of, you know, simple project ideas for your family. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate this. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you. So my takeaway today um, really starts with a research study that I wanted to share with you. And it was a research study called Kindness Counts, which shows the benefits derived um, by 9 to 11-year-olds when they were taught strategies to increase their happiness to acts of kindness. And what did they find? They found that we don't make children happy when we simply enable them to be receivers of kindness, that we actually escalate their feelings of happiness, improve their well-being, reduce both enrich their friendships, and build peace by teaching them to be givers of kindness. And so here's another factor to consider. We spend a lot of time with our children on a very tight schedule. We hustle everybody into the car or onto the subway. We're throwing kind of food at them. It's stressful for them. It's stressful for us. I always ask you to do just one thing for yourself in order to continue being able to care for everyone else. So doing good together not only has significant advantages for your children, but it will do so for you also. Think of this. It could be your time to relax, have fun, enjoy a sense of accomplishment as a family. So try just one activity, just one small gift of giving as a family, It will refuel you. So this is Dr. Merrill asking you to do something actually to help me. Um, And I'd like you to help me continue to share this kind of information. So if you just would go to podcasts and go to Caught Between Generations, hit review and write something, hopefully positive. This will help us get the content out to even more caregivers. So remember, it's Dr. Merrill. Just one more thing. I love getting your emails at Dr. Merrill at Caught Between Generations. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.